Today we are continuing the sermon series on Philippians titled Christ Our Joy. Can everyone say Christ Our Joy? Amen. Uh, Today is actually going to be part six of eight. And after today we're going to have two more. And so we have an eight part series and the title of today's is Rejoice That Your Citizenship Is In Heaven. Rejoice That Your Citizenship Is In Heaven. Is in heaven, and right off the bat, from the front end of this front end of this message, I'm just going to share. This is going to be a very challenging message. It's going to confront every passive bone in our body. So, y'all ready for that? <laughs> You're like, no, give me something comfortable. All right, <laughs> there's comfort in here too. Don't worry. So, let's turn to Philippians chapter three. Philippians chapter three. Verses 12 to 21. I want to give you a moment to turn there on your phones or if you have a physical Bible. Philippians 3, 12 to 21. I'm going to be reading this from the ESV. So Apostle Paul, he passionately says, Not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears... Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies, hallelujah, to be like His glorious body. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Amen. Amen. He will transform our lowly bodies to glorious ones. Hallelujah. Am I the only one feeling happy about that? Man, you guys are confident. All right. We're going to approach this sermon verse by verse. Is that okay with you guys? Verse by verse. Starting with verse 9. Starting with, yeah, verse 12, I mean. Paul says, not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, as in, I haven't arrived yet, guys. But I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. When you look at this verse here, in this section that we are reading today, Paul is saying this, he's saying, hey, I'm about to challenge the heck out of you guys right now. And he's not saying, I'm there And I want you guys to catch up to where I am. He's saying, I'm challenging you, but I'm letting you know I am so far from arriving. 
He says, I have not already obtained this. I don't have it already. When we read this, we ought to ask ourselves the question, obtain what? What is this? What is it? What is this prize that Paul is saying that he is pressing on towards? What is this? Well, the simple answer and the right answer is Jesus Christ, of course. But more specifically, we can discover what Paul is getting at when he is saying this or it. How do we know? Let's look at, we look at the verse before that. What does he say? In verse 10, he says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, become like him in his death, that by any means possible, here it is, by any means possible, I attain what? The resurrection from the dead. This this or it or this prize that he's striving after is, Paul says in the verse before, the resurrection of the dead. Now, what is that? If you were to ask me, man, what are you so passionate about? What are you, what are you striving after in your life? And I told you the resurrection of the dead. You'd be like, what is that? <laughs> what is Paul saying here? Resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the dead is this. Paul is talking about how he will be. When Jesus comes back and he's resurrected. He's talking about, in other words, perfect Christ-likeness. Perfect Christ-likeness. That's what Paul is going after here. Paul is saying, this thing that I'm going after, I'm passionate about becoming perfectly Christ-like. And what does that look like? It's in verse 10. What does that look like? It means knowing Christ. As Pastor Susie shared, he's, he listed out all his credentials and he said, all this, all his trophies are rubbish. Pastor Susie is scared I was going to say a different word. <laughs> I won't do it. I, I, can say it. I won't say it. All, right? all this stuff is rubbish compared to knowing Christ. What else does it mean, perfect Christ-likeness? Something that we may not like is... Knowing the fellowship of suffering with Christ. You know, part of knowing Christ, there's this level of intimacy that we get to experience that we're invited into in the realm of suffering with Christ. There's a pastor named, I'll never forget this, pastor named Francis Chan, some of you guys know him. He gave this illustration and this imagery talking about, imagine Jesus Christ being nailed to that cross, and he's suffering for a purpose. And just imagine yourself, hypothetically, you are also being nailed to that cross, on the other side of him. You guys are back to back, both being nailed to the cross, and Jesus is looking over his shoulder, speaking to you. Hang in there, hang in there. And then you're speaking to him. I don't know if I could do this. You guys are, he's encouraging you to keep going. Can you imagine the intensity of intimacy there? You have tapped into an intimacy with Christ that you have never before. You're understanding what he's going through. You're suffering with him. 
you're dying to yourself. And also, knowing His resurrection power. Knowing what it means to walk in the Spirit. Walking in the supernatural. Walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. This all encompasses, this is all encompassed in pursuing Christ-like perfection. Now, again, Paul says he has ways to go. He has not arrived. He's so humble. (laughs) He says right here, but I press on. Everyone say, press on. Turn to your neighbor and say, come on, press on. He says, press on. In another version, in the New King James Version, he says, But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. Paul is saying, I'm clinging to the very thing that Christ clinged to me. What he's saying is this. That word, press on, that you guys just said, in the Greek, that word is called dioko. Can we all say dioko? Dioko in Greek, for press on, it also means actually to pursue zealously. It's an intense endeavor. It's a very intense word. To pursue passionately. And when I was studying this word, I was very surprised to find that you know what else, you know what else this word means? Dioko also means to persecute. To persecute. And this rocked me when I found this out. Because in Acts 9.4, do you remember Paul, what his name used to be? Saul. Paul, when he was Saul, Jesus encounters him and says, Why are you persecuting me? Why are you diokoing me? I am Jesus whom you are diokoing. You see, Paul, before he got encountered, he was diokoing Christ. Passionately persecuting Christ. But it says here that Christ took hold of him. What he didn't know was this. As we sang about the reckless love of Christ, Christ was diokoing Paul. He thought he was diokoing him. So he radically pursues Paul, and he encounters him. Nothing can stop him. And then Paul's diokoing is redeemed. Now his persecuting, it changes to a passion to pursue Christ-likeness. That's powerful. Diokoing. You better believe that there was major resistance. Major resistance. Can you imagine Christ? When he laid his eyes on Paul. The amount of resistance and persecution that Christ was facing. But none of that phased Christ. None of that phased the dioko of Christ. Through all the enduring, through all the suffering, through all the endurance. He was still faithful to encounter Paul and transform his life. Why does Paul long for this perfection? You see, it's not about himself and what happens when he reaches perfection. A.K.A. it's not about Christian perfectionism where we feel good about being perfect. 
But it's the result of becoming perfect. You know what that is? The result of perfect Christ-likeness is perfect intimacy with God. Perfect intimacy with the Father. Where there is unhindered fellowship. Where that fire in his heart is burning 24-7. Where there's nothing that can stop him from pursuing Christ. That's why he's pursuing this. That's why he wants this. In the next verse, it says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it, again, my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me, and moving forward and pursuing and straining forward and diakoing what is ahead. When I read this verse, when, it's, when we read, forgetting what lies behind me, for some reason, I automatically think of my sins, my past failures, my shame, all that holds me back, my shame and my fear, holds me back from pursuing Christ. The lies of the enemy, Paul is saying, forget those things. You have been covered by the blood of Jesus, so move forward in pursuing Him. That is true. But you know what I realize? Here, when Paul says, he says also in another way, he says, as we run this race, Let's cut off all the dead weight and sin. Right? In Hebrews chapter 12. He's saying actually his trophies, not his sins. You remember Paul? He had all these credentials. Jew of all Jews. I was the best rabbi. I knew everything about the Torah. I knew this and that. He was a very well-known teacher. All his credentials that used to define him. Actually, Paul is saying... Forget those things and move forward. Forget those things. Our trophies do not define us. Our accomplishments do not define us. Our successes and our experiences even do not define us. Christ defines us, period. New Philly, the good old days do not define us. The past experiences do not define us. My experience as a missionary in Africa does not define me. My seminary degree does not define me. All my trophies, all your experiences, all all our Bible knowledge, however long we've been a follower of Christ, these things do not define us. So forget these things. And let's move forward in pursuing Christ. Because Christ defines me. Amen? He says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, Paul here, he, he's using another illustration or metaphor. He likes using the metaphor of running and racing. Running and racing. He, he shares in other parts of his letters this metaphor is of running and racing. He says, press on, strain forward. Because when it comes to running and racing, there is an element of resistance. Element of endurance. There's gravity. There's weight that we've got to drag along. More for some people than others, Right? As I'm saying running and racing, I'm looking over at Brother Stephen here. I said running and racing. He was like, yeah, yeah, I'm connecting with you. I'm connecting with you. He, he loves running. 
He's reading a book on how to run a marathon. Who loves running here? Raise your hand. Mm, pray for the rest of us, yeah? He just ran a half marathon. What was your time? Hour 49. If I ran for an hour and 49 minutes, I will be dead. I will be dead. That's crazy. Is it true, Stephen, that when you run, when you started running, you definitely, tangibly experienced the element of endurance, resistance, pain, isn't there? There requires a certain level of discipline and self-control when running. Now, I've heard this rumor from runners. I've never experienced this before. But it's called runner's high. Runner's high. Raise your hand if you have experienced runner's high. I really want to know what that feels like. It's when, it's when you're running and you feel the pain, you're feeling the cramps, you're feeling like quitting, which I do, but you get over and you break through and you feel that intense amount of suffering and pain and resistance, but yet for some reason you experience this strange joy inside, don't you? A runner's high. It's theory to me. But I know it's real. It's real. Is it real? It's real. See, Paul here, I believe he's talking about a spiritual runner's high. Where we experience in this race of life, where we're experiencing the endurance, where we're experiencing the resistance, the suffering, the moments we want to quit so much, the moments we want to give in to stopping and filling our stomachs and growing in our belly fat. That's more me, right? Spiritual runner's high. I believe that there's a joy that we have access to in this life, in the midst of resistance and suffering. This is what Paul's talking about. And this joy is what he is fixed on. It's what he's... Christ. Christ-likeness. 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27. Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control. Everybody say self-control. In all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body. Another translation says, I make my body my slave. And keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul, he's talking about the discipline of self-control. Last sermon I preached, I preached on what does it mean to work out your salvation? Part of what it means to work out your salvation is to grow in self-control. Growing in self-control. You see here, I love, the, I love the imagery Paul uses here. He says, hey, we're not living aimlessly here. We're not doing the whole Christian church thing aimlessly as if we're boxing the air. No. There is a purpose. You know, when we run, there's many motives of why we run. But Paul here, he's not talking about running as a hobby, as if Christianity was a hobby. 
He's talking about running as if there is an end, as if there is a prize, as if there is a purpose. Dioko, right here. So what is this race of life? Let me just, uh, as we look to the screen, let me just explain to us and reiterate what Paul is so fixed on here. Overall, here's what Paul is fixed on. The this. This heavenward call to perfect Christ-likeness. Okay? So, next slide. This heavenward call to perfect Christ-likeness. What does this encompass? First, I'm going to share three things. First is this. One, the cost of Christ-likeness. Everyone say cost. The cost of Christ-likeness. I mentioned this earlier. This is what it means to have intimacy with Him through suffering. Suffering well with Him. Okay, not an escapism Christianity. In 2 Timothy 2, 3-7, he says, Share in what? Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is a hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. These are job descriptions that are not so comfortable, but all involve some level of suffering. When you look at this verse, there are three types of people, right? The first is a soldier. The second is a what? Athlete. And the third is a farmer. In all three of these jobs, they all have to do with endurance, patience, self-control, discipline. They all faced so much resistance. They all face so much resistance. They all involve a cost. They all involve a cost, and they all involve suffering. Part of pursuing Christ-likeness is walking out the cost of it, dying to yourself, Pursuing holiness is going to cost you. It's going to cost us. Second is, hallelujah, the completion of Christ-likeness. The completion of Christ-likeness. If the cost of Christ-likeness means work out your salvation, the completion of Christ-likeness is He is faithful to do it in you. He will complete it. He is the author of, And what? Perfecter of your faith. This is the final product of working out your salvation. This is what we all will experience during the resurrection of the dead when Jesus returns. And then the third, I love this as well, it's the crown of Christ-likeness. Everyone want to say crown. The prize of this race is the fullness of blessings and rewards when Jesus returns. But most importantly, the most important reward of ending this race well, you know what it is? I can't wait till that day. We're going to experience perfect fellowship with Christ. We're going to experience perfect fellowship. And all of us, I believe, we're going to be in tears. Finally, the day has come. I fought the good fight. I've made my sacrifices. It was so hard. The finally the day is here. 
everything that I've been pursuing after. Can you imagine Paul? Can you imagine Paul? All the toil, all the suffering he went through. That joy. Stephen, you know what that joy feels like, right? When you finish. But that, you know, that medal, it is worth something. But it's not about that gold, right? It's about the process, right? When we see Christ, oh man, nothing is going to hold us back. We're going to see His beauty like never before. We're going to have glorious bodies like never before. And all the bliss and pleasure and joy and satisfaction all combined that we have experienced in this life will pale in comparison to what we will experience when we are with Him. When we are with Him. Paul describes this as those who are mature. Spiritually mature. In the next verse, it says, Let those of us who are mature think this way. Let those of us who are mature think this way. You and I, when we are fixed on becoming Christ-like, when we are suffering well, when we know how to grow in endurance, when we have that perspective live living for when Jesus returns, that, brothers and sisters, that is spiritual maturity. That is maturity. Maturity is this. The great goal of our life is our holiness more than our happiness. Our holiness more than our happiness. And it says in verse 18, he juxtaposes this. These are the mature, but these are the immature. Look how he describes the immature. He says, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. These are people who are immersed in lust, given over to lust, given over to greed, given over to reputation, given over to power. These are the aims of their lives, even using Christianity for that. Even using Christianity for that. And Paul ends this section by saying, Our citizenship is in heaven. That day is sure. Our citizenship is in heaven, and what we await a Savior. Paul is writing to the church of Philippi here. And you know, the church of Philippi is immersed in Roman culture. Philippi was colonized by Rome. And there was a certain expectation that Roman citizens live by in Philippi. People, people of Philippi, they were so proud to actually be Roman. It was, a, it was a nationality to be proud of. And it's so interesting that in their culture, you know what they anticipated? You know what day they look forward to so much? The day when the Roman emperor would come and visit they would prepare so much for that day. They would get so excited for this emperor to come and visit the representation of Rome. With this in mind, Paul is saying this. Let's renew our minds, guys. It's not about the emperor of Rome. It's not about Rome. Guys, just as much you anticipate the emperor of Rome to come and visit we should anticipate the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The King of this 
heaven that we are citizens of. We've been studying the end times. And my question to us continues to remain, are we cultivating a Maranatha spirit? Do we await and long for a savior, just like the people of Philippi are waiting for the emperor of Rome? Do we eagerly await? Do we eagerly await? You know, all this race talk, and I want to close with this. All this race talk. I can't preach this message without talking about the race that Christ ran. I can't preach this message when I think about when Jesus walked here on this earth, what was his prize? What was he thinking about? He became a man, which means he experienced what endurance looks like. He experienced resistance. He experienced temptation. He experienced the weaknesses of man. He lowered himself to that place. But for Christ, he is perfect. How can his prize be perfect Christ-likeness when he's already perfect? No, for Paul, I mean for Christ, he was running for a different aim. He was running for a different prize. Christ was focused and concentrated like a soldier. Christ was disciplined like an athlete. And Christ was diligent and patient like a farmer. What is the prize for Christ? The prize is that Christ would receive his inheritance. And what is in his prize? What is his inheritance? It's the pure and spotless bride of Christ. Is you and I, Christ, he diakod all the way. He pursued and he endured all the way through all the floggings, through all the persecution. Even today, he suffers. Even today, he faces endurance. Even today, his people, the church, the people of Israel even, they reject him again and again and again. But when we look at the life of Paul who's writing this, he persecuted the church. And when we remember that behind that, Christ was pursuing him, we can rest assured, we can rest assured that brothers and sisters, the day is coming. The day is coming when we will see him face to face. My encouragement to us is this. Why should we run this race well? You're saying, Pastor JP, you're saying all this, and you're preaching all this, like, why should I try? Why should I be passionate? Why should I pursue Christ like this? Why should I pursue holiness? Why should I pursue Christ-likeness? And the answer is this. We live in this way because, simply because Christ is worthy. Christ is worthy. When you get tired of running this race, when you get tired in this life, I want to encourage us. Remember what Christ went through. Remember what He goes through. Remember His faithfulness. Remember the race He ran for you. So that you you and I could have perfect intimacy. It cost Him everything that we may be given perfect intimacy with Him on that day. It cost Him everything.
and he will complete what he began on Calvary. He purchased us and he will perfect us. And it is because of Christ that you and I, when we cross that line in the end, we will be crowned with righteousness. All because of the race that he ran.